I'll tell you, it's beautiful to hear praises to the Lord God. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation. The Bible tells us that it is about Christ Jesus and from the far corners of the earth, he is calling his people. And even if we don't, the rocks will cry out. And we're starting a new year and um, I'm not giving you a new year sermon, I'm not giving you a 2020 sermon, I'm not giving you a political sermon, I'm not giving you an Iran sermon, I'm not giving you any of that. But here's what I am going to give you. I'm going to give you a promise that we're not going to be out-worshipped by rocks and trees. We, the people of God, will magnify the Lord Christ Jesus each and every day. Maybe you can remember, travel back in time with me a few years to September the 11th, 2001. Many of you, if you were born, I realize some in this room were not born yet, yet at that time, but if you were born, it was probably just another day. You were getting up, you were getting ready to go to work, or maybe you were meeting a friend for coffee or a biscuit. Uh, maybe you were like me, a freshman in college, and uh, you go to your first eight o'clock class, and you come back, and there's something on your TV that's unsettling and different. And things changed in the world starting that day. Like we, we knew that there was that there was evil and there was wicked. And, and, and many of you may remember uh, news stories from, from World War II and Pearl Harbor and, 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 and kind of had that thought and that feeling of what it meant to be, be, be attacked on a national level. But, but for so many of us, September 11th, 2001 changed something. One of the most dramatic changes that took place was that in the months following September the 11th, 2001, people were flocking to churches that had not darkened the doors of a congregational uh, gathering in years. Many of New York's one-time prominent and leading churches went from uh, 50, 60 years ago running five, six, seven, eight hundred people in the few years before September the 11th, 2001, maybe have had 30 or 40 in their sanctuaries. The sanctuaries were then filled because there was this imminence of doom that kind of hovered and people wanted to know what was going on. Fast forward nearly 20 years. Fast forward nearly 20 years and we find many of the churches that were filled in the months after September 11th back where they were. Back to near emptiness, back to stagnation. Why? What's changed? Because when we run because of controversy rather than because of the cross, we're going to find something less than. And when we come to a point where we are in 2020, yes, 2020, where are your flying cars? Here we are, 2020, we've got to come back and realize what the purpose is for why we are here. Because realistically, the news headlines have not changed in 20 years. There's still turmoil. There's still fighting. There's still conflict. There's still unrest. And I know the question might come. 
But why are we going to the book of Revelation for this? Why, why are we getting into that particular book? Because there's some weird stuff in the book of Revelation. There are some things I don't really understand in the book of Revelation. Why in 2020 are we going there? As you turn in your Bible to the book of Revelation chapter 1, let me share with you these words from Jim Hamilton. Jim Hamilton is a pastor in Louisville, Kentucky, but he's also a professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary there in um, Louisville. And just for those of you that might be interested, know uh, Pastor Ben, when he was here, I asked him, he never had Dr. Hamilton in class. He knew of him, respected him, but never had him in class. But here is what Dr. Hamilton says about the book of Revelation. We have been lulled to sleep by the ordinariness of our lives. Our senses have been dulled by the humdrum of one day after another. We need to see God as he is. We need to be convinced that Jesus is reigning as the risen king. We need to have him speak to the situation in our churches. We need to know that God is right now on his throne, in control in heaven, worshiped by myriads upon myriads of the heavenly host. We need to see the way that God will pulverize wickedness, obliterate those who oppose him, and set up his kingdom. The book of Revelation has exactly what we need. Revelation chapter one, we find these words starting in verse one. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who testified to the word of God and to be the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. And heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is yet to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he, Christ Jesus, is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Let's pray together. Lord, the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, the author and the finisher of our faith, 
We live in such a time of unrest and turmoil. We live in such a time of distrust and abuse. We live in such a time where wickedness seems like it prevails at every corner. Many of us have never experienced injustice. Many of us live under the bondage of injustice each and every day. And we cry out to you, our Lord, our God, to help us see the victory again that you have promised. For only, Lord, you can. So we ask you now, you who are the Alpha, the beginning, and the Omega, the very end, you who are eternal because you were, you are, and you are yet to come, we ask you for your word to fill us today, to give us strength, to give us hope, to give us joy, so that we can give others the peace of Christ. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our King. Amen. Wow, Revelation. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a little nervous about this one. I'm going to be a little... Sometimes I get a little nervous with passages, and, 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 and especially if it's an uncomfortable one. I mean, there are some things, if you were with us during Genesis, we had to talk about some things that really just weren't, hey, go home and tell your grandma about this. You know, it just, um, they, they didn't go down like a, like a slice of apple pie. It's just kind of hard, hard to stomach there. But the book of Revelation brings so much to the table, so much about what Christ has already accomplished and will show us. But before we get started, I kind of want to throw out some ground rules for, for our time because we're going to be in Revelation. I looked at it again. We're going to be in Revelation until um, middle of November. November the 15th, I believe, is the last message in Revelation. Now, there are a couple of breaks in there. Um, there's a week that I'm going to be out. Pastor Darius is going to be preaching for me. And Darius is going to take, what was it, like the two-headed monster? Is that what you got, Darius? Just kidding. Um, we've got a break in Revelation that week. I'm not going to throw that one on him. Um, but, you know, just a couple of things. So, so it's not every single week. We've got a couple of like spot Sundays. Easter Sunday is not going to be a Revelation passage. That's going to be a, a more Easter uh, themed thing. I don't want you bringing all your family and friends that day to, you know, slay the dragon or anything. Uh, but but we've got some kind of some ground rules for, for what we're going to do here. Just some notes to get us started as we go into the book of Revelation. And, and the very first one is that God's word is not meant to confuse. God is not the author of confusion. And I understand that some of you have read the book of Revelation and walked away from it not knowing up from down. I understand that there are uh, some of you that might have uh, sat under some teaching in Revelation and still walked away more confused than, than what, what you started. The, the book of Revelation has such beautiful imagery, but it is the word of God. We find in this passage of scripture that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show us, not to confuse us. Not to lead us astray. And I want you to understand very clearly what I am about to tell you. There are major religious movements in our country, in our neighborhoods that use the book of Revelation to take you away from truth. 
So I believe that if we are to be the people of God, we have to know the word of God in order to set it rightly before those that would bring to us error. I don't want you to walk away from here confused. The second is that no one has all of the answers to the book of Revelation. I promise you, I do not care how nice they look on TV or how much money you have sent them. They do not have the corner market on the book of Revelation. There are at least five major camps of understanding and interpreting the book of Revelation. You have some that go as far back as 200 AD. I mean, believe me when I tell you this, the closer you can get to original, it's probably more accurate, right? If, you, if you've got some, some uh, ideas and understanding of what's going on in the book of Revelation from right after it was written, it's probably better than what's been watered down over the last uh, 1,900 years since John composed this book. You've got this idea that, that maybe what's going on in the book of Revelation only has to do with John's world. That, that's, that's a view that just kind of takes some of the, some of the kingdoms and the, and, the, and the princes and it's written in code to maybe make you think that he's talking about Caesar but doesn't want Caesar to know and, and all this. And, and, and that's an earlier interpretation. Or there's another one that's called the historical interpretation. It looks at thing as maybe this is just about different movements in church history and it's not really prophecy that's going to be fulfilled in the way that we understand it. Or there's another idea that maybe this is um, all future so there are a couple of things that happened already but basically chapter 4 through chapter 22 are still yet to come and many of you might fall into that camp there are many popular American uh, preachers that 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 have have espoused that view and pressed over the last 100 years but I want you to understand that that view is only about 150 years old and he's like 150 that's really old not in the grand scheme of things not that old but then there's something we call more of an eclectic view that pulls some elements of each and sees the merits and views. And I just want you to know up front, I fall into the eclectic camp. There are many things in the book of Revelation that we can actually historically point to have already happened, already taken place, especially in the first four chapters looking at the churches that received this letter first. But there are a lot of things that we just don't understand. And anyone that tells you that they have it figured out is lying to you. They, they are, if they've got it all figured out, ask them to solve world peace problems. Because if they've got the book of Revelation figured out, they can do anything. Go ahead and roll out the carpet. Let them walk on water for you. Because God's ways are not our ways, nor are his thoughts our thoughts. If Jesus Christ would look his disciples, and remember, Jesus is sinless, so he's not a liar. He's not going to tell them a story. And if he's going to look his disciples in the eye and says, no one knows the day or the hour except for the Father, why would somebody in 2020 be able to say, I got the answers? And the reason I'm telling you this is because there might be a question that you raise that you want to come. Look. I'm going to be really, I love you. I love all of you. Every single one of you. Even though I don't know your name, I still love you. And I love talking to you. But at the end of the day, I don't need you to come and correct my sermon at the end of the, at the, end of the thing. Not that I'm perfect or right because I don't have the corner market, but there is too much going on in the book of Revelation. Way too much. 
And I don't mean that to sound arrogant or prideful because I'm going to miss some things and we can talk about that. But man, point number three, we got to be charitable with different understandings on the end. We've got to be charitable. Billy Graham said this in 1977 in his book, Approaching Hoofbeats. He said, we must not get so caught up and the finite differences and the brush strokes of the book of Revelation that we missed the big picture of its grand origin. Revelation is about the majesty of Christ. It's about the triumph of Jesus Christ. It's about the assurance of victory. It's about the promise that God has made to us and he gives us some understanding and he gives us some imagery and he gives us some truth. And it might be that you hear something like, I'm not exactly sure about that. Let's talk about it. Give me a call. Come by and talk to me at the office. Send me an email. Shoot me a text message. We'll get together and have a cup of coffee. Like, oh, yeah, you know what? I, th I think I might have missed that. We'll have that conversation. But we've got to do it in charitable ways. Because ultimately, no two of us are going to see everything exactly the same way every single time. But we do agree on the birth, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. We do agree on the authority and inerrancy of God's holy word, his scripture. We do agree on the sinfulness of man. We do agree on the return of Christ. We do agree on the reality of hell. And so what we have is this core from which we can work and be charitable towards one another as we go and here we have the book of revelation let's look at our passage to get today our passage today starts with revelation of jesus christ which god gave him to show to his bond servants the things which must soon take place he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bond servant john ultimately revelation is about jesus christ revelation's about jesus christ yeah, I know there are going to be some things that we uncover as we go through the book of Revelation that, you know, it's like, well, where's Jesus in that? I mean, is the, is the beast, is that about Jesus? Well, ultimately it is because guess who wins? Jesus. That's right. Jesus slays the beast. See, we like victory stories, right? If you got the newsletter article this week and we kind of uh, identified some of these things, we like victory stories. We like the stories that are like slay the dragon, get the girl right off into the sunset, right? And that's ultimately what happens here. Jesus slays the dragon, claims his bride, the church, and rides off into victory, into the everlasting light of God, his Father, shining in all eternity, and he takes us with us. And he says here in this passage of Scripture, he says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ that God has given. I want you to see that the book of Revelation is about nothing else than Jesus Christ, the preeminent Son of God who claims victory over everything. Revelation is the triumph of Christ. Now, now here's, here's the thing we got to pull back in. I've seen the news. I've been on Twitter. I've seen what's on Facebook. I've seen people. And we pull all this together at this time because we're not defeated. 
When we look at the book of Revelation and when we look at scripture as a whole and in general and see that it's all about Jesus Christ, we cannot be defeated. Because we have a victorious king. We have a risen savior. We have one that came in and kicked death in the teeth, busted the gates of hell wide open and said, I have risen forevermore. And this is what God has plotted in our lap. And he says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The victor, the triumphant, the true king. Revelation's about Jesus Christ. He goes on and says, this is what God gave him to show this bond service, the things that must soon take place. And he sent and he communicated it by his angels to his, his angel, to his messenger, to his bond servant, John. One of the great things about seeing Revelation as being about Jesus Christ is it takes us back to who is the author. He says this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him because God has written the story of the end. See, I'm not worried about what happens in the news tomorrow because I know who holds the end. I, I, I know, and you know what? That's a hard statement to make. I'm just gonna be real with you. It's real hard. I've got three little blonde-headed kids that I love more than anything, and it would crush me if something happened to them. But that's not the end. God has written the story of the end. I love my wife more than most of you will ever, ever be able to comprehend because I just do look at her. I just do. I love this church. I love the way God has brought people from all over South Fulton together. To worship the name of King Jesus together. I love the mission that we're on to, to, to see families transformed by the power of the gospel. But ultimately, if it all ended tomorrow, I know that it's in God's hand. Because God, according to Paul, the book of Acts chapter 17, standing on Mars Hill, talking with the religious elite of his day, says, you know what? Here's the God that you don't actually know. He's the one that has affixed and appointed the times and the boundaries of all the nations that are. So where, where we are as a country today is only by the hand of God, period. And if America ends tomorrow, God's got something bigger and better. If America lasts 250 more years, great. God's got something better because God has written the story of the end and he's given us the revelation of Jesus Christ so that we would look to that rather than to this. That's a big statement if you think about it. That's a big statement that many of us will nod our head to, but we haven't yet bowed our heart to. And I can be just as guilty as anybody because I like life. I like where I live. I like where I serve God. I like the people that God has put around me. I enjoy it because God made this world for us to enjoy. God didn't say, you know what? I love people that I am going to make in my image. So I'm going to give them a horrible place to live forever. So they'll be bored and miserable. No, he gave us a world. A world where we can find joy, where we can find happiness, where we can find love, where we can find, where we can find friendships and relationships. But this world is not all there is. See, Revelation is about the triumph of Christ. It's about what Christ has done because there's something bigger. As much as we like this place, man, wait till we see what he's really got in store for us. 
You think you're happy and you, you think you're healthy and you think you're good here? Wait till there. Maybe you don't like this place. Maybe you're ready for this world to come. And guess what? The next one's better. You're not going to be disappointed there. Because God has written this story. He's written it out to the end. And he says, I have written these things so that you would be able to see what's going to take place. Wow. God, 1900 years ago, gave these words to John to pin on these pieces of parchment that were preserved and translated. And we have now accurate translations within our New Testament text today has already written this story and has already affixed it in eternity so that we can have hope for tomorrow because we know who wins. That's great, right? That's great. It's kind of like watching your favorite football team after you know the score. After you know your team has won. If you're not sure, when you're watching it in real time, you're kind of nervous and you're shouting at the TV or baseball or, or, or soccer or whatever your sport of choice. Maybe you don't like sports. Watch a movie, watch a play. But when you know who wins, you watch it better, easier the next time around because you're like, I already know the outcome. Let's look ahead and know the outcome. God has written the story of the end. And, and John, it gives an eyewitness account of the words of Christ. Notice what he says here. He says, he sent his angel to his bondservant John who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even all that he saw. Now, there are a lot of things in the book of Revelation that I'm just going to be real with you. They don't make a lot of sense. And the reason they don't make a lot of sense is because they are far too wonderful for us to comprehend. Let's just kind of back out a little bit here just for a second. Because I think we can be a little prone to, to miss this. When we approach passages like what we'll have in the book of Revelation. I will be honest with you, okay? I do not think that everything in the book of Revelation is exactly literal. I believe that God has given John a vision and has given him his words and there are things that are too wonderful in the book of Revelation for human words and human comprehension to actually be able to grasp. They say a picture is like a thousand words, right? That's why movies are always shorter than books because the first image that pops up on the screen in a movie probably is about three pages worth of the author describing the scene and the setting and what's going on in the background. They can put it in one second right there on the movie. See, I think what John sees is so beautiful and so majestic and he has this eyewitness and he's so eager. Lord, give me the words to write down. And so he's trying his hardest under the inspiration and the power of the Holy Spirit to write down exactly what he sees. And some of it doesn't make sense because we cannot comprehend all that God has for us. And to be honest with you, I'm kind of thankful for that. I, I, I really am kind of thankful for that because... What if, what if the Lord appeared to you at your bedside tonight 
and detail by detail mapped out the rest of your life. All your highs, all your lows, everything you're going to experience, all the news you're going to get, exactly how you're going to die, where you're going to die, when you're going to die, who's going to be around you. It would make us nuts. We wouldn't be able to, to handle it. And, and I know we, we, we deal with anxiety and fear of what's going to happen next, but if we knew everything that was going to happen, our heads would explode. It's with that same anticipation of what God is doing that John writes this and says, I can't wait for people to know how wonderful the end is because there is this massive victory that's about to take place that Christ Jesus already guaranteed on the cross that we're going to get to see played out in real life. That we're going to get to see played out in real time. And whether it's while we're still here or we've already passed on from this life and we get to see it as we come back with Christ, we're going to see all of this take place because God has said, this is the victory that I have given. John gives us an eyewitness account. But he says there in this passage of scripture, blessed is the one who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near. The time is near. And we must recapture some of John's urgency. How do we recapture John's urgency? And I know you're like, near. He wrote this 1900 years ago. How is it near? That's, that's kind of a long time, right? Well, it says the Old Testament says, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is but a day. So all of you have been praying for God to bless you with all the material wealth you could ever have. And God said, well, wait till tomorrow. You just keep waiting. He says in verse four, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who was, who, excuse me, from him who is, who was, and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ. What we see about Revelation here is that Revelation is a letter to the church. Revelation is a letter to the church. It is, it is written, grace, peace to you. This is how Paul would introduce his, his letters, how Peter would introduce his letters throughout the New Testament. What we find in the letters that are sent, this is the formal greeting. So John is writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the vision that he was given to the church. This is for us. This is why we're going through Revelation. It's because it's for us. It's for God's church. It's for his people, the bride of Christ. Grace to you and peace. I love that he starts with grace and peace in this. One, it's the grace of God that we have his revelation in our lives, ultimately revealed in Christ Jesus. But it's the peace of God that allows us to look at a passage, at a book, at a, at, at a, at a, at a story like what we see in the book of Revelation and not flip out. I mean, dragons, beasts, lakes of fire, the whole earth being consumed, I mean, I know we live, in, we live in the cinematic age where you're like, oh yeah, I saw, that on, I saw that on Independence Day 20 years ago. Or I saw that happen on the Marvel Universe. Or I saw that. We, yeah, we've seen all this, right? It's, it's old hat for us. So we've been desensitized. But when it's not a movie anymore, when it's something real, we've got to come back to what God has given us in this letter to his church. But notice what he says in verse five. This is from Jesus Christ the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sin by his blood. This letter is written to us and it's driven 
by love. It is the love of God to him who loves us, the adoration of all that we have because he loves us. I want you to think about this for a second. Just a second. The love of God, the love of Christ, that he would give us a book like Revelation. This is why I said at the beginning, Revelation is God's word. And since it's God's word, it's not meant to confuse us. No, no, no matter how thick the imagery, no matter how mind-boggling some of the pictures and depictions that we'll get to over this next year might be, it's not meant to confuse us. Why? Because God loved us enough to give us his word so we would know what was coming. For example, you're driving down the road. You're moving on down the road at a nice clip of 70 miles an hour, which means that everybody on Interstate 85 is breezing past you as though you're standing still. But there you go, 70 miles an hour. You're getting honked at and you're going and everything. And you're coming up, you're coming up to, um, you're coming up to uh, uh, um, 285 and you're going up 285 and you're getting there and you get just past I-20 and you know, there's a bridge that goes across the Chattahoochee River, right? Well, what you don't know is the bridge is out. And everybody is just continuing to drive and they're just keeping. But your best friend in all the world, you love them dearly. They're watching the news. They're watching Fox 5 and Ron Gantz like, stop, he's breaking in on you on Fox 5. He's like, this is not an outfield emergency, but this is an emergency. He's Ron Gantz. He's going to hit a home run for you. He's going to save your life. Here he is. The bridge over the Chattahoochee River on 285 on the west wall is out. Do not travel that way. But everybody else is just driving along as though the bridge is okay. And they're falling off into the river and floating on down the Chattahoochee because uh, it gets hotter than Ojikuchi. That's what Alan Jackson told us 30 years ago. And your friend calls you and says, you're on 285. You need to stop. Why? I'm going to be late. I got an appointment. Because the bridge over the Chattahoochee is out and everybody else is just driving right off into it. And I don't want you to die. Well, thanks for thinking of me. I'll get off on exit seven. I'll get off on, on uh, Campbellton and go around that way. That's love, right? Love stops you from destroying yourself. It's not loving to say, you know what? Go ahead and just uh, run off that bridge. We'll see if your car floats. It's 2020. Your car might turn into a boat on your way out. I don't know. I've seen that on TV too. See, what happens is we see that this letter was given to the church because Christ Jesus loved the church and did not want the church to fall victim to the deception and the wiles of our enemy, the devil, as he comes and persuades the multitude to follow his false Christ. As we went through the book of 1 John most recently, we continued to talk about false Christs and these antichrists. Not the antichrist that we will see appear later in the book of Revelation, but these false ideologies, these false teachings that pull us astray and ultimately lead us the way of the enemy. And what we have as the church is this opportunity to see the love of God, that he would give us his word, that he would give us his promise, that he would give us this special revelation of Jesus Christ because he loves us, because he calls our sin to be washed away way by the blood of Christ I mean greater love has no man than this that he would lay down his life for his friends and Jesus says and you're my friends translation I'm about to lay my life down for you where you sit today right now Christ Jesus has laid down his life for you to take away your sin, to wash you in his blood so that you would not be deceived by the way and the wickedness of the world 
See, Revelation's about the victory of Christ because God loved us enough that while we were sinners, Christ Jesus died. This letter's driven by love, but this letter's also given to encourage. It's given to encourage. Look at what he says. He loves us. He released us from our sin by his blood and he made us to be a kingdom of priests. That's a huge statement. But it's a statement of encouragement. See, it's encouraging because what it shows us is that in the love that God has for us, he would take us from where we are and make us into something better, something more habitable for his Holy Spirit. He made us into a kingdom of priests. It's encouraging because it's in the plural. That means you're not in this alone. Everybody look around you real quick. Look, take, take a look. look up there in the balcony. If you're up there on the shelf, look down here on the floor and you know, don't drop anything on anybody's head. But you, you see, look around you. This is just one congregation of million, millions that, that we're in this together. And your road to get here was a lot different than mine. Your, your road was probably a lot harder than mine. Your road might have been easier than mine. I I, I don't know all the details of your road. But here's what I do know. That God together, because he loves us, is encouraging us with this community. He's writing to these churches and says, look, he's made us to be a kingdom of priests. To be be, uh, right in front of his very throne. To serve him forever. Together. So tomorrow when you wake up and the news is bad, you have somebody sitting beside you that you can reach out to and say, hey, I need your help with this. I need, I need your prayer over this because you've got someone as a priest that can make intercession for you. So that's the thing about being a priest. That's why we as Baptists believe in what we call the priesthood of the believer. That doesn't mean that every single one of you is going to be preaching sermons this year. Some of you might. I'll text you. I'll give you Darius' sermon on uh, the beast so he doesn't have to preach that one. What it means to be a priest means that you, by the authority of the blood of Christ, have direct access to God the Almighty Father. And if there's nothing that encourages you to do today, maybe that statement alone takes you to realize, you know what, there's something beautiful about this gospel because it took me from where I was and placed me right in front of the throne of God where I can talk directly to him. And because of that, you by yourself have the ability to lift your brothers, your sisters, your neighbors, people around you up to the throne of the most high God. That's called making intercession. See, it used to be that you had to go to an actual priest to make intercession. Only the actual priest could carry your concerns to the Most High God. But you, because you have been cleansed by the blood of Christ, can go directly to him. He has made us a kingdom of priests. So tomorrow, when the news is bad, when life is hard, when you are not sure what to do, you've got someone you can go to who will carry you to the throne of grace because we are a kingdom of priests together. That's victory. We sing victory in Jesus, my savior forever. He sought me, he bought me with his redeeming blood. I loved him ever since I knew him and all my days are due him. He plunged me to where? Victory beneath the cleansing flood of his blood. What is all that about? 
It's about who he's made us to be by his blood, by the joy. See, this is the encouragement. This is the love. This is what God has done for us. And he said, you know, I'm going to show you in Christ Jesus. You want revelation? Look at Jesus. The book of Revelation is about Jesus. The book of Revelation is a letter to the church. But here's the last. Revelation is a promise of redemption. Revelation is a promise of redemption. Look at, look at this. Behold, verse 7. He is coming with the clouds. Last night I was having a conversation with our daughter. She'll be six next month. She's asking questions about the gospel and about Jesus. And we're talking about sin and she's asking about why Jesus died. And we're talking about, well, it's because of our sin that Jesus died. And he died to take away our sin. And, and so she's like, so, so you and mommy, you don't sin anymore? I'm like, well... We're not proud of it. We don't brag about it. But unfortunately, we do. And for a six-year-old, that question of faith, if I get saved, does that mean that there's no more sin around me? I wish it were that easy. I wish it were such that when you put your faith in Christ Jesus, not only were you forgiven of sin, but there was never sin mentioned or named around you. But the reality is, you've got flesh. You are a person. And as a person, even a redeemed person, sin encroaches on our lives. And because sin encroaches on our lives, the effects and the stain of sin does as well. Some of you are sitting here today because someone else's sin has affected you, there's something wrong in your life. You've been sinned against. Some of you are sitting here today, you've got trouble in your life because of your sin. What you did brought the lump of coal on your head and the trouble and the turmoil that you were facing. And you've cried out to God, but there is a real-time in this life punishment for what happens in our sin. Now, the effect of our sin, the, 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 the stain of our sin might have been removed, but we still live with the effect of sin today, right? Which is why we look to Revelation 1-7 as the promise of redemption. Behold, he is coming. Because when he comes and he claims us and he takes us out of this world, what he's doing is he's pulling us in the redemptive state to a place where there is no sin, there is no stain of sin, there is no effect of sin. So he says there every tear from every eye has been wiped away. No more sadness, no more hurt, no more death, no more betrayal. He's coming to redeem. How is he able to do that? Look at verse 8. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am at the beginning and I am at the end. I am the one. I am the one who is. I am the one who was. And I am the one yet to come. The Almighty. Let me ask you a question. If revelation is a promise of redemption... Have you trusted that promise? When he comes on the clouds, are you one of the ones that are going to rejoice or are you like verse seven that says all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him because you 
missed it. The one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. The Almighty extends his nail-pierced hand to you to say, come to me. I will give you rest. You want victory? You want triumph? You want hope over this wretched world? Come to the Almighty. This is why we look at Revelation. 